Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, did we get Wednesday again this week? We're getting Wednesday again. Wah, wah. We're getting wednesday but like on a Thursday, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Or a Friday. Something. I just, you know, fucking hate the Supreme Court. I'm just <gasps> going to say no matter what happens over the next, you know, three days and the 13 cases that they've yet to announce the decisions on, I just, I fucking hate them. I'm, I'm over it. You know, it's pretty funny because you have to assume that this decision is done and dusted, right? And yeah. so what I wonder is, like, you know, my mom always told me, damn into the torpedo. When you've got to face bad news, just take it head on. It feels like they might be being pussies with this one. Yeah, they might be being pussies. Well, we'll see. This week, we are joined by Dana Schwartz and Julissa Arce to tackle the following questions. What does whatever the Supreme Court is about to do mean for the future of reproductive justice? Are we on the cusp of another anti-feminism backlash? Who actually deserves to be canceled? All this and more right now. All right. So as we alluded to in our cold open, we record this show on Wednesdays. So if something happens between Wednesday recording and Thursday release, we're sort of SOL Mm-hmm. So um, whenever, you know, January 6th was a Wednesday. Good example of something. Um, sure was. We went in ready to talk about Hilaria Baldwin with SE Cup. We came out like we cannot air this conversation about Hilaria Baldwin nope. with nope. SE Cup. This week, we've got to hold it. Uh, some stuff happened. So um, this week, the Supreme Court announced just before we recorded that there will be two more decision days this week, Thursday and Friday. Usually they only release decisions Monday and Wednesday. This is such useless information, and I can't believe how silly their rules are. But, you know, once or twice a year, we have to learn about their weird-ass calendar. It's like trying to learn the rules of cricket. (laughs) I don't get it. Um, So something tells me that there's some elderly justices who really want to get these, like, 13 cases out of the way real fast because they want to do, like, carefree rich guy shit. Like, I mean, or they've watched too many episodes of The West Wing and think that they can dump the bad ones on a Friday and we won't notice. (laughs) That's true. But then they would have dumped it next week, which is right before a holiday weekend. (gasps) But you know what? Then maybe they didn't want to risk their holiday weekend being ruined by vitriol. <laughs> right, right. Maybe they got to let it cool down before they can, like, peacefully simma, get simma, back simma. to their exactly. boat. They want to have, like, a like a week before they can, like, waltz into a steakhouse acting like a big shot. I feel like that's a that's an activity of, like, really, really— the most annoying type of Beltway people. Yeah. Like, the steakhouse big shots— yeah, it's like, let's go to the Cap Grill and have a stoli doli. Oh, my God. I saw Kevin McCarthy at the Cap Grill in D.C. one time just 
being, thinking he was the greatest. And it's just like, God. That's, see, that's the difference between me and Kevin McCarthy because I would go to the Cap Grill just for the Stoli Doli because it's all I could afford. <laughs> I would go to the Cap Grill and be like, I just, all I want is a giant piece of meat and this is nothing to be proud of. I am like, <laughs> this is a shameful exercise for me. Um, so, uh, you know, in the talking about the Supreme Court, there's a few important cases that are going to come down before the end of the term. Dobbs is the one that we've all had our eye on because that's the one that everyone thinks will flush Roe down the toilet. And Alyssa, you and I don't know the outcome of that case. No. Like, no. only the justices do, right? Like, yes. well, the justices in, like, probably Ginny Thomas and whatever insane people. She's probably got it on text somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Frickin' Dobbs. Whatever insane people. She says frickin' not me. She totally says frickin'. I just think, like, it's funny to imagine that, like, one of the most consequential decisions in American history, because half of the population requires reproductive, more than half the population requires reproductive health care. So it's one of the most consequential decisions in history. And it's kind of funny, like, bleakly funny to imagine, like, Ginny Thomas like, you know, having a couple glasses of Chablis and then scrolling through her contacts and be like, who am I going to text about this? This is all just, I have no idea what No, Ginny, we're just, ma- this is just making us feel a little better. <laughs> this is fanfic about Ginny <laughs> Thomas. Uh, so maybe 30 people, let's say. Maybe 30, some clerks, some, some justices know what is about to happen. But right. people are going to listen to this knowing what happened. So in that spirit, we're going to record three different news portions about this. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like in the movie Clue, how they do all three of the endings, you know? <laughs> yes. Or in 30 Rock when they when they pre-tape a disaster relief segment with Jenna. To be ahead of the game. To be ahead of the game and win the ratings war, you know, to help the people the thing that happened happened to. Um, so in that spirit, we're going to re- we're going to tape three outcomes. So here's outcome yeah. number 1. Something close to the Alito draft that was leaked a month ago mm-hmm. is the final ruling. And not only is Roe overturned, American women have been tied to a rocket ship with the Federalist Society logo on it and blasted back to 1873. So, Alyssa, that just happened. What the fuck? What the fuck, Aaron? Seems like what we thought was going to happen has indeed happened. And abortion is no longer safe and legal, but will still happen. Yes, it will happen unsafely. It will happen illegally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is this is far from the start. There are states across the country that are trying to pass crazier and crazier laws. The reason I said 1873 is because that was the year of the Comstock laws, which made it illegal to distribute information about uh, contraception or abortion over mail because there was a guy uh, named Comstock who was America's foremost prude. Read up on him. He is one of the craziest bitches in American history. So we're heading back there. Um, you know, you and I are in blue states. Yeah. I fear for the future country that my daughter will be growing up in. Mm-hmm. And I fear for the future uh, that that everybody, especially people who are more marginalized, um, are already living under. Yes. I mean, if this is the ruling... In about half the states in America, abortion is now illegal. Yeah. And here's something that really, you know, makes me furious. Um, There's always a sort of flippant dumbass who is like, well, you can just move. Or like offering a very complicated solution 
as though it's a simple and easy solution. Another one is just adopt. Well, there's always adoption. Okay, fucko, you carry a baby for nine months and then go through all of that and then just relinquish the baby. Like it's easy. Like it's easy. Like, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to go through nine months of that and then just be like, you know what? You know, this was fine. Now I can just adopt. My body hasn't changed forever. You know, this isn't a long recovery, no matter how I give birth. You know, this isn't a major ordeal. This isn't going to fuck with my mental health. This isn't going to fuck with my physical health. This isn't going to fuck with my sexual health, with my relationships, with my ability to work. I can just adopt. Fuck you. Also, just move. That's another one that just move. That's a, that's another one that can completely fuck off. People grew up places. People have roots. Just because— People have jobs. People have jobs. Some people lack economic mobility. It's expensive to move, especially if you already have kids, especially if they're in school. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Especially if you have a mortgage now and interest rates are growing up. Yeah, that's— uh, there's a lot happening. I just, I just really, I, I want there to be a holiday where all the, like, I want there to be like identified dumbasses. Like, you know, you get something in the mail that's like a jury summons. It's like, hey, you're a fucking dumbass. No talking. Um, the last week in June, it's a dumbass free week. Will you get a free vacation to this mountain cabin where there's no Wi-Fi <laughs> and, and no talking? Free, free vacation. But, you know, nobody else has to listen to you for that week. We need a, a, a dumbass vacation. Okay. That was pretty good. That was a good option. Yeah. Works. If the Alito draft is close to what's released, I think that that works. Okay. Option two. SCOTUS strikes down Roe, but only by upholding the Mississippi law, which bans abortions after 15 weeks, mm -hmm. which means that abortion access is seriously weakened, that Roe is essentially overturned, that Casey is essentially overturned, and also conservative justices that swung away from Alito look like heroes, right? Right. Like whatever conservative justices behind the scenes are doing the maneuvering, they're going to come out and be like, wow, heroes to America's moderates. Alyssa, are, let's just say, I'm going to say who those people, it would probably be Amy Coney Barrett and uh, Brad Kavanaugh. Are they heroes? Are Amy Coney no. Barrett? And, okay. No, they just scared of protesters at this point. They're scared of protesters and I think they just want to have their abortion and eat it too. <laughs> that was grosser than when you what you said last night. Uh, what uh, what did I say last? Oh, don't throw the abortion out with the bath, with the bath water. water. <laughs> yeah, that was that. That let's put a pin in that one. I'll bring that one up too kay. in our personal kay. political Ready. conversation today because I got it. I got it in my back pocket. Um, yeah, I think that this was something that Roberts wanted in the first in the first mm -hmm. place. You know, if you listen to legal analysts like um, on our other Crooked Media podcast, Strict Scrutiny, which has been completely amazing yeah. as a source of information on this, um, you know, Justice Roberts is somebody who fancies himself a reasonable, moderate, by the law kind of person, even though he's very conservative. Um, and I think that, you know, most people who are Supreme Court watchers and reporters think that Roberts wanted it to come out this way so that they would be able to be credited for, for weakening Roe, but also right. not be these insane, um, like completely out of line with the American public's opinions, out of touch body that is losing relevance by the day, even though it is. 
also, I think that he has enough ego and hubris that he doesn't want the Supreme Court to devolve into utter chaos on his watch. It already has. I know, but you know, it could get worse. (laughs) Right. I mean, remember when he saved Obamacare? That was crazy. I know. That was crazy. Which brings me to option number three. Outcome number three is something insane happens that nobody predicted And Roberts has somehow figured out a way to save both Face and Roe v. Wade. So they issue one of those mealy mouth opinions that kind of just like kicks it back down to the lower court, which would strike the law, I believe, and also kick the can down the road so that maybe the Supreme Court can do the same thing the next time a case like this comes up because there are plenty of cases that are coming up. But this one is so like... It's so stinky Ugh. from, yeah, from like the, the leaks and the Alito of it all. It's just kind of, it's, it's like stinky. Moldy. It's yeah, moldy. It's, it's really stinky. Um, So uh, nobody saw this coming, Alyssa. Did oh you think God, this would Aaron, happen? I know. I what a surprise. So nobody scoop. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's just like in 2012, was it, when Robert saved Obamacare? 13? 12, 2012 12, or 2013? Sometime. Sometime in the middle. During the salad days, Alyssa. Oh, God. Oh, it was such a great time. It was heaven. Summer music was like 90% bops. It <laughs> was like. Bops. I miss my bops. <laughs> I mean, Beyonce is attempting to bring them back valiantly. So, I mean. um, so, yeah, 2012, 2013 was maybe the peak, the peak of my adult life. It was very fun, um, you know. In terms of, like, the sociopolitical situation. Yeah, of course. Everybody was feeling pretty good. Uh, Obamacare was saved by a vain chief justice. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked this happened. I'm shocked the Supreme Court didn't go ham. But I expect that they will go ham in the future. And I hope people listen to us when we warn about it from now on. Yes, yes. Because look at the states are showing their hands. Look what they're doing. They are. They're ready to fucking go. I mean, they're all ready. All of their their activist groups are ready. They are ready. Yeah. So I got to say, it's been over the last maybe like five years that I realized that maybe my strategy for dealing with this this sort of wing nuttery throughout my adult life has been like, I'll just wait for them all to die. Like I'm a lot, you know, all these people are old. I'll just stick around. Eventually they'll be dead and I'll still be alive. And it'll. here's the thing. I think that while their numbers are dwindling, the people uh, who are kind of at the tip of the spear for conservative pet causes are mm-hmm. so annoying and so awful that they've driven most reasonable people out of public service. Yeah, at I this point. And it's like not all, I, I'm not going to outlive them because there's always going to be one real young idiot. I mean, the youngers are crazy now than the elders. Dude, did I tell you I got a DM from Tommy Lauren? No. She DM'd me and asked me if I would go on her show. And I was like, I said something diplomatic. Um, Or I said, you know, can I see reels of you talking to somebody with my opinions on your show? Uh, I'm not interested in having a conversation that is just talking point sword fights. Right. Um, I'm not going to go on her show because I'm I'm not interested in in being on the radar of the type of person who watches her show. 100%. You know, and Mm -hmm. that's that kind of brings me around to what I'm saying is like, I'm not going to outlive these people. Like there is enough people that are just off their rockers. Yeah. That it's like, 
public service feels dangerous and at the very best, annoying for a lot of people. As someone who was a public servant for a long time, there is nothing you could offer me that would make me go back. Nothing. Yeah. Well, we got to fix it because people like you and me have to start like running. For I shit. know. I know. But it's like, <sighs> you know, gotta what? think about it. Look at look at what they did to the election workers. Utterly yeah. nonpartisan, hard fucking working people whose only joy, not only joy, that's hyperbolic, but whose professional joy was just making sure people voted. They didn't mm-hmm. care for who. And they have run them out of the system by targeting them and making their lives miserable. So yeah. we're up shit's creek. Yeah, we're up shit's creek. And that concludes option three, but it segues nicely into what we were going to talk about anyway, which is something that we know happened, which is the January 6th committee met again this week. And as Alyssa alluded to, um, it basically painted a picture of a fandom congregation of Donald Trump who are just rabid and completely devoted to ruining the lives of anybody who stands in the way of Donald Trump getting what he personally wants, which is very weird to me. It's terrible. It's like Mad Max, but worse costume design, you know? Bad, oversized, cheap suits. Yeah, and none of them can drive. Have you ever been on a highway with one of the Punisher truck people and you're just like, ugh, this person. Those Those trucks are scary. They're scary because they're so big that, you know, they will get into accidents because those people can't drive. Um, And they're big enough that they can hurt people. And Um, the actual Punisher logo is, in fact, terrifying. But also, like, the Punisher hated cops. That's, like, the one, that's, like, the first, I don't know, I don't know anything about, like, comic books at all. Not because I, I, you know, it's just not my thing. But that's the, that's the one thing I know about the Punisher is that he did not like the police. (laughs) Um, that's what like are we going to do? His main thing. I <laughs> Guys, I don't. Okay, so let's get back to the January 6th committee hearing. Um, Alyssa, you mentioned the poll workers who were totally terrorized by misinformation, disinformation. I want to talk a little bit about Rusty Bowers, which I do not believe is a real name. It's a dog name. <laughs> I uh, know, but but it's seemingly a good man. He's trying to be a good man, except he thinks God wrote the Constitution, which we are all skipping over the fact that that is an objectively, that is wacky. That is wacky, but. That is some Southwestern wackiness. (laughs) And we really need, that is some like, you know, we, no, God didn't write the Constitution. A bunch of like 18 to 25 year old dudes who didn't want to pay taxes did. And then plus one horny old guy, Ben Franklin, (laughs) you know, like, anyway, um, I was impressed by him. He mm-hmm. seemed like he was he was doing the best that he could within his moral framework. What did you think of Rusty Bowers? I was into Rusty. You know, it's like it's it is a it's something to really think about, right? When you have the White House calling you. Like right now, I guess it's so hard to think about because Donald Trump has so diminished the office, but like these people were calling him And he stood up to them. And that is, I mean, in the same way the elected officials in Georgia did. And that's not a small thing because what we learned yesterday is that this wasn't some like ham-handed, drunk Rudy Giuliani 
play here. This was, Mm -hmm. they were really coordinated. They had a real fucking plan. Like they had made all kinds of like real lies up that they were trying to feed these people. It just, it seems it wasn't as, uh, I guess, juvenile uh, plan or strategy as we may have thought. You know, there Mm -hmm. was really, there were a lot of players and uh, they were all working um, to get these people to overturn what was a free Mm -hmm. and fair election. And so Rusty, I mean- it's it's so interesting, and we were talking about this a little yesterday, but it's like, imagine if, like, I we always say we never want to overly praise people for doing the bare minimum, but I think about if Rusty had been a Democrat, right? It would have been so easy for Trump to be like, conspiracy, conspiracy, see, they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, these two states that ended up being so critical to the outcome of the election, Georgia and Arizona— Having Republicans in place, I mean, has actually kind of made this something for which Donald Trump may actually get in trouble for because Mm -hmm. they're Republicans. They voted for Trump. I mean, I think that's the other thing with all this is that these people fucking voted for him and they're still like, dude, stop. Well, and Rusty Bowers did say that he would vote for him again, which is. Yes. Like, okay, well, that's it. You look, you had me. You're testifying before Congress right now (laughs) because he tried to pressure you. Oh, my God. It reminds me of that meme that's like they had us in the first half. Not going to lie. That's how I feel about I'm like, okay, Rusty. I think Rusty, though, may be saying this because he just look at the onslaught that these lunatic MAGA people have reigned like they have rained hellfire on these people that were just following the law. So Mm -hmm. I guess if I were him, I might say I'd vote for him, too, just to sort of like make sure there were fewer nuts on my lawn come tomorrow. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be paranoid here or I'm okay. going to put my dystopia hat on. I love when you do that. Um here's a question that I've been asking myself a lot because, you know, you have people like Rusty Bowers and you have um, you know, those poll workers in in Georgia who um were, you know, victimized by MAGA people and they talk about, you know, with Gabe Sterling and all of these all these people saying they got all these death threats and people mm-hmm. calling the cops. Here's my question. How many of those people were real? And I don't mean that these people are making things up. I mean, I think that there are forces on the right that use like Russian type tactics yeah. and possibly employ bot armies and like other Oh, totally agree. That, in order to kind of like egg on they're the small number of people who are very frothy about them. Right. So I do believe that there is, um, yeah, the Amber Heard stuff also, yeah. and game, Gamergate stuff. Like, a lot of the people, um, I think that eventually we will find out that a lot of the people sending death threats and amplifying these messages were bots. And what that served to do was encourage the very, the much smaller than we think number of people who were like on the edge of, of like right. being nuts to actually be nuts. It was like, does that make sense? No, it's kind of like a safety in numbers thing, right? Right. That like mm-hmm. they thought that they had, if you think there are hundreds and thousands of people on your side, mm-hmm. you're going to feel like a hero if you're the one who goes and- Goes to Comet Pizza or whatever. Goes, right, or goes and shows up at- shows up at Shea Moss's grandmother's house and tries to make a citizen's fucking arrest, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right. it is, there are enough people who do the in-person shit mm-hmm. that you don't want to, you don't want to hedge. Right. You know? 
totally. And I'm not downplaying the fact that these no, people no, were legitimately threatened. I think that the people, the real people making the threats were probably egged on by some totally. Russian-ass disinfo troll farm. Yeah. Extremely weird stuff. And here's another reason that I think that that is the case. Like, there, there have been all of these right-wing events that were supposedly going to be, like, massively attended that just, like— you know, maybe had a lot of buzz in the right-wing right. media sphere that just ended up having, like, a small number of people there. Do you mean, like, Trump's inauguration? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think if you if you checked Twitter and, like, extreme Trumpy Twitter— and again, this is just me. I'm just guessing. But based on how a lot of these, like, viral shitstorms resulting in death threats have gone, I believe that there will probably eventually find out that there has been some amplification. And yeah. that, I think— is so awful and so damning of the types of tactics that the Trump team is willing to employ. They're willing to use, <laughs> distort, like, internet reality in order to right. froth up dangerous people. And, uh, wow, that sucks. They're bad wow, people. I think you just summarized his entire presidency in one sentence. <laughs> wow, that sucks. Yeah, I did uh, I did attend college. That's true. Um, let's see. One more quick thing. You know, we don't have the ruling in Dobbs yet, but I did want to circle back to abortion. Why am I using corporate speak lately? Circle back. Is it because I miss going into an office? No, you do not miss going into an office. I am wearing a blazer today. I know. It's beautiful. It's it's a, I got it from Target. I love it. Uh, Yeah, no, we're going to circle back to the abortion thing because I think it's important for people to understand that it's not just, you know, a court making a decision. There are real people who are impacted by this right now. Um, and there are clinics across the country in states with trigger laws on the books that are halting appointments for abortions because um, the minute that the ruling comes down, abortions, legal abortions will end in the state. My home state of Wisconsin, Planned Parenthood is not scheduling abortions after June 25th. Oklahoma and South Dakota basically can't get legal people right. there who need reproductive care, uh, cannot get an abortion in Oklahoma and South Dakota. Um Missouri is not accepting new appointments uh, at their only abortion clinic. It is, uh, it's not great. It's not good. The Red River Women's Clinic in Fargo, North Dakota is uh, still open, fully open. Um, but, you know, if the Supreme Court case comes down the way, we think it's going to uh, trigger ban. So that's pretty bad. So I feel like none of the practitioners actually think uh, that scenario three in our news is going to happen. What if, what would you do if it did? Like, I mean, do we celebrate or are we just sort of, do we just sort of celebrate by not crying? I think we celebrate by not crying because it's not over. You know, this Supreme Court's going to be the Supreme Court for a really fucking long time. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's like they'll see. I mean, if it is if it is scenario three, they'll see how people respond. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll, I would respond to it like a clean bill of health from the doctor. You know, it's like, okay, I don't celebrate going to the doctor and the doctor's right. like, you're fine. It's like, you're like, cool. Good. No further testing necessary. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that a lot of people, uh, if it is scenario one or scenario two, by the end of the summer, I think that there will be some, um, a lot of people will realize that it's a lot worse than yeah they thought it was going to be. Uh, what an up up way to end the 
news. We were going to talk about the shooting in Uvalde, um, but we've run out of time. So hopefully next week we can talk more about all the ways that the cops completely failed. Abdicated all responsibility to the children in that room. It was like, you know, real quick before we end, it was as though the police are all like the dumbest and most cowardly people in town. They've been given guns and told that they're the only ones who can protect people. And then they just don't do their jobs. The door wasn't even locked, Eric. It, it, my, when I first heard that, I thought darkly about, you know, that far side comic, Midvale School for the Gifted, where it says pull and the kid is like pushing. I was like, wow, those are the cops, except they're supposed to be rescuing people. Right. And they cannot even open a goddamn door. Nope. Just horrifying. Okay. Uh, we'll talk more about this in the in the future as we get more updates on it. Each one keeps getting worse. But first, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a couple more people to join us for a discussion about whether or not the future is still female. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not Not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details.
And welcome back. Welcome to the future. The future used to be female. The future was female. Right, Alyssa? The future For a little while. was female. Is there a tense in English that is like the future was once this, but now is not that? I think there's a in, in French there's it there is such a tense, but not probably here. in Latin, maybe in like Hungarian, Finnish. Yeah. We're Finnish big in is, Hungary. Yeah. Were you are we? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. We were a top podcast in Hungary there for a while. That's a great, that's great information. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this with this group of wonderful panelists today. So I'm going to bring them in right away. First off, she's a writer. Her book, You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation is out now. Go buy it. Jaleesa Arce, welcome. Welcome. I don't know why I just welcomed myself. <laughs> um, it's Welcome. like when you get food and they're like, enjoy your meal. And, they're, and you're like, you too. You too. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. I don't yeah. know. I haven't I haven't touched my coffee yet. Um, I actually just wanted to give a really quick thank you to the Hysteria listeners that have been coming out to all my book events. And they tell me how much they love the show and how they you know, heard about the book because of the show. So thank you all for having me on. And thank you to the Hysteria listeners who are so oh, supportive. They're just the best. Y'all are the, the best. best. Absolutely the best. Up next, she's a New York Times bestselling author. Her book, Anatomy, A Love Story, uh, is is out. If you haven't read it already, I think everyone's bought it. But if you haven't, uh, you should buy it. Uh, she also has her own podcast, Noble Blood. Dana, Schwartz. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is very Welcome. exciting. I feel like as soon as literally when Caroline, the producer, texted like, OK, do you want to come on? Are we talking about I started typing like I was like, oh, the article. We're talking about the article. Great. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, this is a week where we have two the articles. Oh, There's like yeah. which one of them is going to be my I feel petty. So don't worry. We're not we're not missing out. I mean, that yeah, it's article. a big article. week. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be the main character on the Internet. Right. Never. No. Although I think this is a good example of a the article where the writer, Michelle Goldberg, uh, who I I think is one of the New York Times' greatest columnists, especially now. Um, she's not the like person. Nobody's like, oh, Michelle, what are you doing? Um, but Michelle Goldberg wrote a piece that was in the New York Times this week. Um, the future isn't female anymore. And it's basically about a shying away from the term feminist by uh, younger people, younger women, um, and uh, kind of infighting among people who should kind of be agreeing on a lot of issues. But instead of defending territory that we've gained, um, they're like arguing semantics or, or getting into slap fights and sort of like ignoring that. And then conservatives, you know, before you know it, Nobody gets an abortion anymore. We all get, we, we all have to be pregnant. Uh, we all have to give birth. That that sucks. Um, so this is sort of a great opportunity, I think, for us to talk about this. I I think it's like Goldberg's piece really really honed in on something that I think a lot of us have kind of felt, yeah. um, and that is like the term feminism and contemporary feminism hasn't really done much for us, you know, and it hasn't really advanced much for people. Um, it feels like more of a, to a lot of people, it feels like more of a superficial um, title uh, that doesn't really have a lot of heft in it uh, instead of an ideology that's about like 
skull knocking and boat rocking. So, Jaleesa, um, you came with an annotated copy of a book. (laughs) And so I really want to start this conversation with you. What did you think about Michelle Goldberg's piece? Um, Do you agree that contemporary feminism has become sort of cringe and it's slowed down due to infighting? What do you think about this whole conversation? I thought the article was a little cringe. You did uh, for me, yeah. Because I, th- I, I felt like, I felt like she never really told me exactly what it is that she was feeling. I was like, is she trying to defend feminism, or is she trying to point out the things that are wrong with feminism? Is she invalidating the the very real concerns that particularly women of color have brought to the forefront about feminism? Like, I could never quite get what she was saying and mm-hmm. it just it left me feeling like she was trying to defend feminism and never quite really hit on the points or validated really truly validated mm-hmm. the issues that people have brought forward and and I think part of part of what made me feel so like uh about the article is that and and about maybe about feminism more broadly or 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 white women's feminism to be to be completely honest is that it seems like feminism to her based on the article is about two things it's about reproductive rights and domestic abuse as it was um displayed you know or or maybe took a step back however how whatever side of the field you're on with amber heard and so if 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 feminism is only those two things then mm-hmm. then it's not is not encapsulating everything that mm-hmm. to me as a Mexican American immigrant woman feminism is about there was there was no mention about you know to me feminism is also about not just women's right to choose and the fact that we should not be domestically abused but it's also about uh, you know, domestic workers uh, who don't have the same rights as everyone else, who are often not paid fair wages, whose employers withhold their their wages. It's about migrant women in detention centers. Mm-hmm. It's about the fact that um, white women's and Latina women's wage gap. Okay, so the wage gap between white women and Latina women is wider. It's bigger than that of white women to white men. Mm-hmm. Right? So to me, feminism is about all these things, and if and then th- therefore I am like a you know a super feminist because I care about all of these things. But mm-hmm. it does become difficult when feminism is viewed at only through white women's lenses. And yep. the book that I brought informs a lot of how I think about feminism and about the history of feminist. Um, it's it's called Chicana Movidas, and it's it's a lot of Chicana Mexican American feminists who are giving us a history about feminism in the sixties and seventies that I had never heard before, right? mm-hmm. and I had never heard of these feminists and everything they did for all women, and and so I pulled it out last night because I wanted to see just you know how these women felt about feminism in the seventies, and it turns out they felt kind of the same. So I think part of the problem is also we've never really reckoned with the harm that white feminism has done to feminism. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an interesting point. And one thing that I got from Goldberg's piece um, was it seemed to me like she was sort of doing the a vibe shift is coming thing. Like we're coming up on a backlash and we better get ready. Um, 
And I, like, she talked to Susan Faludi, who wrote Backlash in, like, I think, 1991. 91. Okay. But it was all about, like, the cultural clawback that happened in the 80s over gains that were made in the 70s. And um, I find it to be really interesting, Julissa, because what you bring up is that, like, there's a backlash that's coming from the left because the left sees it. And the left and, and marginalized people um, who are not like, you know, white, the white suburban female voter, you know, that, that a lot of times is like, you know, pictured in the pink pussy hat and women's marching and all that stuff. Um, I think that part of the backlash is coming from people who are like, feminism has never served me. So like, why would I identify with it? And then the other part of the backlash is coming from like conservative voices who are like, Haha, like feminism should not exist, period. Like, you know, like there's, Julissa, you say that, you know, it should serve more people and it should actually address concerns that impact all women, like regardless of their socioeconomic status, it should be more intersectional. And then we have like a conservative backlash that's like, yeah, fuck, the, fuck these ladies, go, go home and work. Um, Dana, I wonder what you thought about the article and whether or not you're seeing this backlash happening already. Absolutely. I mean, I think Jaleesa's dead on in terms of like the article did not cover the broad range of, I think, problems with like the word feminism. The It's like a pillar that too much is being, you know, trying to be be supported by that one word. Like there's like a br- broad range of issues that the word feminism is trying to encapsulate and to to not a successful degree. I think what what the article was really uh, touched on for me that I I think I hadn't really seen in print before was this idea that feminism won a a bunch of symbolic victories in terms of like, for a period, feminism was really popular and trendy and you could wear t-shirts in public that said, I'm a feminist. And that was great. But because there was that influx of just visible representation without much behind it. Like Mm -hmm. while we were winning these symbolic, I think like arguably capitalist victories because companies were realizing it was profitable just to slap feminist on things and it would sell more. Like Republican lawmakers were winning actual tangible victories. And Mm -hmm. so then rightly, especially marginalized women who weren't seeing the benefits of feminism being plastered everywhere, when it was just like, you know, privileged white women who are making a profit from this, like, of course, they're going to we're all going to feel like distanced and a little bit betrayed because the victories hadn't been actual policy victories. Mm-hmm. I think that, that you the capitalist aspect of it is is interesting. Um, Emily Favreau and I had a, a longstanding running joke where whenever we saw a shirt that said something about feminism on it that cost more than a hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> we would like take a picture of it and send it to each other. Yeah. Wait, um, Emily and I did that too. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, you're cheating on me. Cheating was, on us. That's fine. If I'm gonna th- merge, that's a, merge the text. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's gonna be an inside, I think that's a great inside joke to have with a lot of people <laughs> because I think Dana, you're totally right that it once people realized it was something that could be sold. It got kind of defanged. Yeah. Like it became instead of like, okay, feminism is about ensuring equal access to reproductive care 
for all women and all people who need reproductive care, regardless of their income, regardless of their socioeconomic status, whether or not they have children, whatever their race is, they should all have access to health care that is quality. That seems like something that we should have always been fighting for. Yeah. Um, not like I felt like through the marketing lens, it kind of became every woman deserves to be beautiful. Yeah, it's like women should be empowered, but it didn't mean anything. It just meant like, I guess, continuing to make money in these like profitable ways that didn't actually challenge anything. Right, right. Alyssa, what do you think? So it was interesting because the article hit me a little bit different than I thought it would because the reason I knew off the top of my head the date that Backlash was published by Susan Faludia is because I was a sophomore in high school. And we went to the bookstore when it came out. You know, I think we saw Susan Flutie on the Today Show or something. And we like went to the bookstore and we got the book. And it was like our Bible. Like we carried it around. We quoted parts of the book to each other. You know, it was uh, it was like a very meaningful thing. And then my freshman, first, I mean, it was maybe two weeks into my freshman semester in college is when President Clinton signed the Violence Against Women Act. Right, which I remember so vividly too, because Lifetime TV for Women was one of it was one of the only times a television network had lobbied Congress on behalf of anything. And I remember there were these commercials, and they were really a part of making sure here was this this TV channel that women watched, and they were like, "We fucking hear you, and we make all these shows about women who get beaten up, and like maybe we should do something about it." And so that was a time like when I was so young that I remember like action, like shit was happening, you know? And, and now here I am many, many, many years later <laughs> and we're doing an entire show about whether Roe is going to be overturned this week. Yeah. And so when I really sat down to think about it after I read the article, I thought she made some, you know, very good points, which is like, we've turned it into like feminism has become sort of like something for social media, you know, mm-hmm. like something to buy accoutrements to express your support, right? You've got the mug, you've got the hat, you've got the sweatshirt. Do I have sweatshirts? Sure, I do. Not going to pretend like I don't. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, and at the time, you think you're supporting an organization, right? Like that's how it started. Organizations that were doing the work would sell merch so that you would buy it to give them money. And then it became just like any brand out there was selling this stuff. Right. And you were like, oh, you look back on it. You're like, mm, why do I have that Gap sweatshirt? You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't, it's like, and 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 what was I doing and what was I thinking? And so I thought she had a lot of, uh, a lot of good points. And, and it's like, what is the intention of feminism now? And there's no one group that's the spirit, you know, I think also back when all of these movements started, there were far fewer organizations, right? And so now it's like, well, what organization is actually doing the work? And why am I donating to this one instead of this one? And like, what are your stated goals and principles? And I think that that's very hard to understand now. And because of that, it's people are less active. And I think also for people who've been active for a long time and they see all the backsliding, like everything that's happening with Roe, you're like, and like Julissa said, you know, the wage gap between Hispanic women and white women hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse and it's worse than it is. It's like, what what's happening then? Like, how is anything working? Yeah. I do feel as though white feminism has felt like I got mine and like kind of abandoned 
continuing the fight for people who don't have what they need. You know, like I got my almost equal pay. Like our our, uh, producer, Fiona, pointed out to me in a conversation we had the other week that in some cities, what women and men make, if they are similar education levels, is exactly the same. There is no wage gap. There's only a wage gap when you introduce different, like, race categories. And that is a concern. You know, that's that's not a concern that went away just because in some places white women get paid the same thing as white men. It should be a concern for every woman until every all of the wage gaps are erased. You know, it's sort of like the most privileged people get what they're what they want and then stop fighting. Um Julissa, I wanted to kind of talk about what you were you were kind of saying that the article implied that there was something wrong with feminism, but didn't quite get to it. Do you, there's a part of me that thought that maybe she was going to get into like semantic debates. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what was implied? Like, I'm genuinely curious. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think, so just a quick, a quick comment. Um, You know, I think that, that when, when we say, you know, the wage gap doesn't exist in some places, uh, it, it does still exist right? Mm-hmm. Because of what you said, like introducing race uh, mm-hmm. to it, but like you can't, you can't disconnect the two, Yeah, you know? So I think even like, and I think that's, that's to me, the biggest problem with feminism is that it always centers white women. Mm-hmm. And once white women, once there is no wage gap for white women, then we go around saying there's no more wage gap in right. these cities where it's like, actually, no, there's still wage gap, exactly. you know? Like yeah. once we say, oh, the, more, uh, the U.S. has like, low mortality rate for giving birth. And it's like, well, no, because black women are still dying when they're giving birth at like much higher rates. So there's still a problem, you know? So I think that's, to me, that's like one of the biggest problems. And you kind of mentioned it, right? When you said, is it is feminism sort of one of those things where once the most privileged are good, then we sort of like put our t- little tennis shoes to the side, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, just to jump in real quick, it reminds me of what that, uh, I think, senator from Louisiana said about his state's, uh, maternal mortality rate, mm. basically, like it's only high because of black women. It's like, right. oh, yeah, right. Senator like, Kennedy, well, thank you so much. Yeah. You know, then yeah. Like, so it is high among uh, among women. Yeah, among like, women. What the fuck are you talking about, sir? Right. Like that was a. That, I think that was a moment where he was America's foremost white feminist in the way that <laughs> you're talking about it. That's exactly kind of I think the kind of framing of these issues that always centers white people in this in this struggles. And when we do that, uh, you know, we're missing a big part of of the fight and we're missing a big part of the people who could really be energized Mm -hmm. to be part of the fight, who don't feel like our needs are being um, served or centered in this conversation. So I and I think that that kind of leads into your, your question about was she talking about semantics? I mean, a little bit, I felt like she was going there and then she stopped herself like oh maybe some of these things are valid and it's not just like petty little infights um but you know I mean I think even towards the end she says that it's like it's painful right like it's painful uh how feminism is being attacked from so many different in so many different directions and Mm -hmm. um whether whether fighting about the things that are wrong with feminism leads to then um less rights for women overall, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do think she was kind of going there. And I think mm-hmm. you can do both things. You mm-hmm. can be critical 
of the movements in which you were in. And at the same time, yes, we all collectively uh, should have similar things that are driving us, right? Like we all should want um, there for women to have a choice about what to do with their bodies. Mm -hmm, we should okay. all be behind like women getting this paid the same as men. Like, yes, and those things are getting attacked from from the right. And I think we should try to build movements that can withstand the very needed criticism and change that needs to happen with these movements. And at the same time, keep fighting against, you know, the quote unquote, like real enemy. Like, mm -hmm. I think we should be able to do both of those things, because if you don't have a healthy movement, if you kind of don't have uh, a strong movement, then any push from the right is going to topple it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure you've got a strong base. And, and I don't think we do. And mm -hmm. I will argue that when because feminism has sort of been defanged, as you said, and become sort of this commercial thing for just like any company to slap on a T-shirt and it's become or at least the, the symbolism of it has become sort of chuggy, for lack of a better word, it diminishes our ability then to mobilize for the actual important policy changes that we need. Then we're, we don't have that, you know, those symbols no longer have the power that we need in order to galvanize and, and make people excited so that we can actually make policy changes. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're having this discussion, I have been thinking a lot about a stat about Gen Z. And uh, Gen Z is much more queer identified than any generation that came before. I think one in six members of Gen Z are queer. And so there's a part of me that thinks that having a conversation about like men versus women, you know, in, in such a binary way, will be seen not not as passe, but as a little bit outdated within a few years. Um, I don't know. Like, Alyssa, what, what do you make of that? No, I think that's probably... I think that's probably true. And I think that means that there needs there need to be new alliances, for lack of a better word, because, like, what's not diminishing is the role of white men, you know? And so I think that, you know, if we look at how the pie is divided, if we're talking about, like, work, right, like professional jobs or whatever, like, the amount of, like, white men is not shrinking. It's just that the one piece of the pie is you know, available to everyone. I think there just needs mm -hmm. to be more alliance building because like the real changes and the space that needs to be made for other people to have a seat at the table is not uh, increasing. They're just making like smaller more groups people of people. It. Right. Fight for fight against each other instead of the people who really still retain all the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, here's something that was brought up in the article that that has been like haunting me. And that is the characterization of feminism as cringe hmm. um, and whether or not uh, a movement should even care about whether or not it's cringe. Like our, so our social movements kind of by their definition, confrontational, sometimes annoying, uh, interrupting, you know, aren't they kind of inherently cringe? Julissa, is there like should feminism want to be cool? <laughs> Uh, that's a funny question. Um, uh, I guess it depends on like who is describing it as cringe, 
You know, it's like if the right is describing it as cringe, then like who gives a fuck? Like I don't care what you think, you know? Like, yeah, you can think I'm cringe, whatever. If it's sort of like people who are on the left and who see like the problems and who, you know, think that it's cringe, then like maybe we should kind of look at it. But but if we're being called cringe because we're not cool, then like, yeah, who cares? Like that doesn't that doesn't matter you know being what is being cool anyways Mm -hmm. like what is cool i will say the problem with being cringe i agree completely that being cool doesn't matter but it it also uh diminishes i think the ability to like get young people excited into what the movement actually could be yeah i think that that some of what feels a little bit cringe to me just like as a cultural observer is that the, there are people who really were a part of something that made a political difference at a, you know, at a time. Remember like the women's march, going to the women's march, and there are these like middle-aged white ladies all hanging out in groups, you know, and like carrying signs and like the people who live in the $5 million homes and put the signs in their yard. They're like, in this house, we believe in science. Love is love, like that sort of a thing. But you know, they would be the first people to call the police on a homeless person who was like camped in the, you know, yard between the sidewalk and the street. Um, I think that that's maybe what the cringe of it all is, is sort of like there's a lot, there's a sort of like nimbyism in feminism where it like doesn't seem to want to engage with the stuff that's like confrontational. I don't know if I I keep using that word, but I don't know if like social movements should just be all fun all the time. (laughs) I think that in a lot of cases, it's just like you, what you're doing is you're going to be annoying until things change. One of the authors cited in the article specifically says what is cringe is that the movement has tried and failed, and that's what makes it cringe. And I mm-hmm. totally disagree with that. Yeah. To me, it is cringe to have failed and not admit you're failing. Like, it's it's cringe to be like, we're fucking killing it when you're not fucking killing it. That mm-hmm. is cringe. But to try and fail, I mean, so should no one fucking try? I mean, that that literally undermines every movement happening right now that hasn't seen radical success. And so I totally disagreed with that person's uh, point in the article that to to try and and fail is cringe. That's that is wrong. I think that is wrong. Yeah, and I and I also would say that it's not a complete failure. You know, like right. for many years, a lot of if we're talking specifically sort of about women's reproductive rights, a lot of. Uh, women and other people with uteruses have been able to get abortions and and have been able, you know, like it's not perfect, but certainly women have had more rights since, you know, Roe v. Wade was first brought to the Supreme Court. That's just a fact. We have had more rights. Mm -hmm. Have they been perfect? No. Did we maybe take our foot off the pedal because we thought, oh, we got it now. We're good. Yes. While the right never has taken their foot off the pedal, you know, the moment Roe v. Wade happened is the moment they started, they kept mobilizing. I wouldn't even say started. They kept mobilizing. They were even more energized and they have made it their single number one purpose to overturn Roe v. Wade and they have not stopped, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do think we kind of took a pause. And so it's time to put our shoes back on and get out there. Mm-hmm. You know what really strikes me? Every time there's a moment where it seems like these rights that people have taken for granted are suddenly very tenuous or people realize that they're tenuous, 
I feel like people who have been plugged into this have to explain over and over again how bad things were very recently. You know, like, I feel like every single time I'm like, hey, have you heard about Buck v. Bell? You know Buck v. Bell, the Supreme Court case that still stands that made it legal for the state to uh, sterilize people against their will. Like, that stands. That is a Supreme— And the state of California, for example, was forcibly sterilizing yeah. prisoners until shockingly recently. I think that there's just—I feel as though sometimes I am just on a hamster wheel of re-explaining this stuff over and over again. Like, um, yeah, you know, birth control was illegal up until, like, 1960 in some places. Yeah, a woman couldn't get a credit card without having her husband's signature until the 70s. I feel like everybody should know these things at this point. Yeah. But every time something like this comes up, people are like, what? I had no idea. It's almost like people deliberately don't listen or don't like care to retain any information about like how tenuous these right the rights that we do have are. Julie, so you look like you are... The only thing I was going to say is that, like, yes, I do think I do think some of the blame is on us for not knowing. But also, it's like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, it's like also our educational system doesn't teach us any of these things. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't remember learning about Roe v. Wade in like history class. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, where do you learn these things from? Like, where TikTok at, not, at well, this now, point, now, literally, now, TikTok. TikTok. literally TikTok. Now TikTok, and then it's also like, okay, well, we can go to TikTok, but also, you know, misinformation. So yes. it's like, are we right. checking the sources? You know, right, so, <laughs> right, and places for people to learn about these things, like libraries, public schools, are under attack across the country. So right. while we're in a time when information is like technically more available, we are losing people who are able to help us sort the information. Librarians. Librarians are people who should be able to help us with like media literacy and to obtain information. And there's not enough of them. Uh, Teachers are not teaching classes that can be construed as making people feel bad for who they are, um, which usually just includes making white guys feel bad for who they are. It just seems like we're sort of up against it. And I guess maybe I'm going to check myself now because I can be frustrated. I'm like old, right? I can be frustrated that people don't know about things like, you know, Buck v. Bell and the history of reproductive rights and reproductive justice in this country. But maybe... Do you think that Goldberg's piece was getting at the fact that for young people, maybe the barrier to entry for feminism is a little bit almost like strident? Like we're, uh, Dana, you're reacting to that. I almost feel like the, the word feminism, because we don't have that incredibly clear goal now that, that I think feminists had in the past, where it was like, protect Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, the past the Equal Rights Amendment, like one consolidating thing, I think correctly at this point, like feminism has a lot of irons and a lot of fire. It is harder for young people who aren't as educated on the history of, of the movement or understand how tenuous the victories we've won are to find out, like, what is feminism doing other than selling T-shirts for mm-hmm. to make rich people richer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great yeah. question. I mean, and, and like the frustrating part about like the whole history of it too is that I bet you anything that there are, you know, I mean, I don't think we're old, 
but <laughs> since, you, since you called us old, Aaron, there's a there's a whole <laughs> generation of adults. I feel like you're old when there are people who are like 25 who are in a different generation than you. When there's like a, adults coming. Oh, Fiona, thank you. You're not <laughs> yeah, old. Yeah. I promise. I mean, thank you so much. You know, I definitely, I definitely don't feel old. I have, I definitely have a heart that is like a lot younger. Than, than than I actually am in years. Um, but I bet you anything that there are quote unquote, and those quotes are Aaron's quotes, old feminists, old, <laughs> old gals who don't know about a lot of history, uh, you know, who don't know about the Madrigal 10, the, the women in um, Los Angeles who were sterilized against their will uh, because they couldn't speak English and the judge said that it's because they couldn't speak English, but if, and that they were, that the reason they were angry is because they got sterilized and therefore could not fulfill their quote unquote Mexican duties of rearing a large family, right? Like there's so much history. I mean, has anybody heard of like Martha Picotera, who was like an incredible feminist in the seventies, who was there at, you know, the, the, the women's meetings, who was complaining about Chicanas not being involved in those meetings. Like there's so much more history that people don't know. So it's not just like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's totally. so much stuff that people don't know. And, and, and I don't think that that should feel or that that should be a barrier to entry. It's like, let's try to learn it. You know, mm -hmm. let's let's be open to new information. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like the Tumblrification of like feminist and sociological discussion has sort of made it so people who are maybe new to the discussion end up exposing themselves to people who are at a very different level of knowledge and who are maybe frustrated or tired of explaining themselves what feels like over and over again. And so sometimes when I when I say strident, I don't mean to be sexist. I was using it ironically, but I just wanted to clarify that. Um, I think sometimes the that it's almost like you have to be born a perfect activist or it feels like the community is going to, especially in social media, it feels like you can be punished for not just coming on like a perfectly formed person who knows exactly how to express themselves, who never gets anything wrong. And I think that we're just like, like I have yet to meet that person. <laughs> person doesn't right. no, no, I both like, in real life and in like his, history. Like right. there's not a single, a single perfect activist, even in the past, mm -hmm. even the yeah. best of them had flaws. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I just, I, I hope that Goldberg's piece about the backlash coming was wrong, but I feel like just the cyclical nature of things and the fact that, you know, Joe Biden is apparently our Jimmy Carter. Um, I worry that we're coming up on, a, oh no, everybody was like, oh God, <laughs> who's going to be the Reagan? Is it going to be Mike Pence? Is it going to be eight years of, of Mike Pence? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I think we're we're sort of in a in a moment right now where we're on the edge of things changing and backsliding and not for the better and uh we're going to just have to figure out a new way to kind of rise from the ashes because this is like a bad moment. I will also say something that really pisses me off is like the ri rise of like ironic trad wifing like you know The fuck is that? Oh, Aaron, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yes, young women are like rediscovering and like painting in the language of empowerment. Like you could stay at home and just like take care of your babies as if like, oh, that's a new thing okay. that they're discovering. 
Oh, right. See, right. As, a, as an evolving activist, I ask questions. <laughs> yeah, which I think part of feminism and my feminism is I'm like, that is wonderful. Like every woman should have the choice to do what she wants to do. But they're using the language of activism to paint that sort of like retrograde thing as like a new, exciting, empowering thing where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, back up. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Right. <laughs> Right. It's like yeah. the, the like substack contrarianism comes for her housework. Exactly. You're just like, that's not a new idea. Yeah. It's an old idea. Yeah. It's it's gone around that it's now ironic. Right. There was this one, and I wish I remember the people's names, but I don't. But there was this like uh, on Twitter, there was this uh, woman who's running for Congress and she posts a, a picture of herself in a bikini and puts it next to a picture of a body positive model. And she's like, why are we celebrating her body? Like, I have five kids and I look oh like this. And like, why okay. am I being made to feel ashamed for posting my body? I I am proud. Yeah. I am proud of my body. And I'm like. That is cringe. Who's t- like, literally no one is telling you not to be proud of your body. That is she cringe. literally said, oh, why is this woman allowed to be proud of her body? But I'm not allowed to be proud of my body. And you're like, who's saying you're not allowed? Dude. Be proud of your body, girl. You look good. So Dude, does she. You know? I think right. pandemic really accelerated us all getting to the point where we conduct ourselves publicly as though we're arguing with a mirror. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, have you ever had those like rehearsed like, well, guess what? You're not going to, you know, like a conversation in the, if you're having it in real life. Like, I would fully start crying because that's the it would be such an intense confrontation. But, like, in a mirror, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you're not gonna- good uh, for you that you have five kids and you look like that. Yeah, five kids. I mean, that Great. good, good for you. That's that's a that's a feat. Congratulations on your collagen that you were genetically <laughs> gifted with. I'm sure you worked hard, but some of that is also nature. Okay, let's uh, let's take a break. I think we solved feminism once again. I think this is like the eighth time we've solved feminism on the show. Um, we're problem solvers on this show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, like in that, this is my second Thirty Rock reference of the episode. But do you remember the episode where uh, Tracy and Jenna have shirts? They become the problem solvers, and one of them has a shirt that says "The Problem." The other one has a shirt that says "Solvers." Oh, what an incredible episode! Okay, let's take a quick break, problem solvers. When we come back, we'll talk about what we're feeling petty about this week. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Thank you. 
Okay, welcome back. You're still listening to Hysteria. I'm still here. Alyssa's still here. Dana's still here. And Julissa's still here. We are going to talk about what we are feeling petty about this week. But first, a little housekeeping. If the names Beyonce, Drake, and Wendy Williams mean anything to you, heard of them, be sure to check out this week's episode of Keep It. Not only will you get Ira and Lewis's uncensored opinions, but comedian and actor Joel Kim Booster stops by to discuss his new Netflix movie, Fire Island. Listen and follow Keep It wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, this year's Crooked Media's Pride Fund is going to support three incredible organizations, Transgender Education Network of Texas, Trans Lifeline, Equality Florida. All three organizations provide community building, gender affirming, and life-saving resources to the queer and transgender community all year long. So we're excited to be helping out. To learn more and pitch in, visit crooked.com slash pride fund. So next week, We will be pre-recording an episode for the 4th of July week because crooked offices are closed and nobody's going to be working. So we're doing a special solicited advice episode where you can write in questions for us and we answer your questions. We all absolutely love doing these. They're so much fun. I want to come back for that. (laughs) Yeah. You're calling it. Um, Yeah, Fiona, mark it down. Julissa wants to come back for solicited advice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, these are always some of our favorite episodes to do. We love getting your questions. You can send it to us over email, hysteria at crooked.com. Sometimes I get them over DM. We prefer email just because that's easier to organize. But if you want to DM me on Twitter or Instagram, I can't guarantee I'll see it, but that's another way to get in touch. Um, You can also if you don't mind it being public, you can tweet it at us. Yes. Uh, I'm, Mor- I'm Morning Gloria on Twitter. And Alyssa is, were you Mastro 44? Alyssa Mastro 44. Alyssa Mastro 44. You could have just gone by Mastro Monaco. I wonder if that. It was all taken. It was what? all taken. Anything close to my actual name was taken. Wow. Yeah. It is a Master Monaco conspiracy. It um, is. Yeah, but you can you can tweet it tweet it at us. Uh we'll put out some stuff on social also soliciting mm-hmm. solicited advice questions. So you can ask us anything. You can ask us about like career. You can ask us about love. You can ask us about sex, but we will not answer the question. Will not Alyssa answer. No. Does not like talking about sex. I don't, okay? I'm a uh, modest lady. Mastro 44 is in no sex zone or sexual mystery. That's <laughs> you can it. ask the question. But are you allowed to like, like, for example, like, can I answer if sex you want to answer a people? sex question, but Alyssa's going to sit there covering her eyes <laughs> because she, I don't know why. I just imagine like a, a Buster I won't cover my eyes. Of. I'll just be like, move on, move along, move along. Nothing to see here. I've got I will nothing help to you say. help them find the clitoris. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So send us questions about, about anything and we'll, we'll pick as many as we can. We'll answer them on a show that'll come out. Uh, I believe, first week in July. So look forward to that. So let's get to the things we're feeling petty about. I'll go first because this is something I think we all have things to weigh in on. So as Dana alluded to at the beginning of the last segment, there's always an article. Like every week there's like the article. Do you remember the bad art friend article? I still (laughs) think about bad art friend. I still think of the bad art friend. Remember the, the, they wrote the, the cat person story. Oh yeah. Being the article. And then they wrote the cat person story about me. 
oh, being the yeah. article. Yeah. And then there's always, you know, some article. There was a great one this week that I was like, this is going to be the article. And it was about a woman who was like the queen of the NIMBYs in California. <laughs> but then it got upstaged by other like the articles. And this is the this is the one that came out on Tuesday. So it was a little too late for our episode planning purposes. But it was on the cut. And I don't want to like pile on this writer because they're getting plenty on um, social media and stuff. I mean, look, all the tens of thousands of words I've written over the course of my writing career, I have gotten some shit wrong. And uh, I've been real stupid about things in the past. And so everybody gets things wrong sometimes. So I want to, whatever. Let's just focus on this specific piece instead of the writer herself. So there's a piece on the cut. Great publication. This piece is not good. Um, The piece is called Cancelled at 17. The article is the sad story of a teenage boy who one day found out that his name was on a list of people to look out for that was posted in the girls' bathroom at school. Uh, And and this teenage boy, Diego, was cancelled as a result. Now, let's talk about why he appeared on the list. Diego appeared on the list because... When he was at a party, he showed his girlfriend's nudes to people without her permission. Um, So here's what I feel petty about this week. This seems pretty obvious, but like the article was written in a very sympathetic way to the boy, not to the girl who had her nudes shown at a party. Uh, Don't do that. That's what I feel petty about this week. Don't do that. The person you're supposed to feel, that is a good reason to be canceled. Like if a bad reason to be canceled is like, a, you know, something that is is not true, something that is, um, you know, like a decade in the past and you've totally moved on and you've made amends, like this is a legitimate reason to be canceled for. You know what I got canceled for in eighth grade? I got canceled for wearing too much brown. Yeah, people get canceled for way stupider reasons in high school. Showing nudes to people at a party. Can I weigh in here? Yes, of course. Okay, you guys. So according to any episode I've ever watched of Law & Order SVU, not just cancelable, criminal. It's fucking kitty porn. This is crazy. How is this even a thing? How can you defend it? It's like Mm -hmm. I was so confused by the article because I was like, this seems... Pretty this clearly seems, like a crime. This is justified. Good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, canceled by the law. Yeah. No, you just broke the law. You're going to jail. Oh, my God. And can I also say, I thought it was a really interesting story, like in the abstract about like the way social media has changed, you know, teenage interactions and the way that like, you know, power and information are sort of tied. But you didn't have to frame that story as a quote unquote cancellation, which is already like a loaded weird term. You could just be like, this girl had this violation happen to her. And this is the interesting way that her school responded. And uh, isn't, you know, isn't it different than when we were kids or whatever, but like framing it the way that it was framed was just baffling to me. Yeah. See, that's why I didn't want to like pile on the writer. I think that it might've also been like an an editor. I mean, no, 20 months after he developed a crush. 18 months after he'd fallen in love. Dot, 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 dot. Uh, Diego, who is enormously appealing. I'm sorry. No. What is that? The writer, <laughs> she deserves some motherfucking okay, piling fair. on. I'm just like, trying to be, I'm trying to be generous. I'm trying to be like, okay. <laughs> like, but yeah, okay. Fair. 
fair. Maybe I'm coming at this with a little bit of a bias, but that is a pretty big, that's pretty bad. (laughs) That's That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. And it's like, she's like, oh, you know, poor him. He got canceled because he appeared on this list. And so his friends canceled him. And I'm like, you know what? His friends should have canceled him when he showed them the pictures. Yeah. You know, like it's not because he made the list is because he fucking went around violating his girlfriend's or his crush's autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why he should be canceled. Yes. That's a good reason. More people should be canceled for that. That should be something. It, it, cancellation should be a deterrent of, of antisocial behavior. Yes. yes. Cancel people. <laughs> anyway, that's what I feel petty about this week. Um, okay, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? Okay, guys, I don't know if mine's, it's like partial petty, partial public service announcement. Um, okay. On Instagram stories, if you are posting a story, I need you to pay attention to your font size. Okay. Because I can't enlarge it like I can do on main. And so it's like, if you're reposting something from someone else, just take a minute, use your thumbs, make it a little bit bigger. If you're typing something, think to my, think to yourself, Can anyone but me read this with my perfect 2020 vision? Because not even my bifocals can help me with half of your stories anymore. So that's what I want to say. Please make your shit bigger on IG stories because it is literally illegible. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is very very petty. Um, (laughs) Think of the bifocals, I guess. You guys, look at these. They're so big and I still can't see half of what's on there. <laughs> they should do like a, a magnifying like iPhone cover. So Something? You can... <laughs> God, this has not been a good episode for me. I'm like, I might as well get my cane out. Be like, things are going downhill <laughs> fast, you guys. <laughs> I think, you know what? I When I do get to cane age, I'm going to think of it as another accessory. It's oh. going to be the baddest cane that ever was. My cane's going to look like this. Yes, exactly. Jaleesa, and you can come up and we can just be like the golden girls and we can have all of our canes walking through town. So, Jaleesa, you're going to have like a rock and roll McDonald's cane, essentially. (laughs) Dana is going to be like a, like a. Oh, like like an old European. Yeah, she's got to have some noble blood type. Yeah, I want like a, a lion you know, carving. Uh, like a gargoyle. Yeah. Yeah. You'll tell the children riddles. They'll all think <laughs> yeah. you're a witch. And uh, then when you die, the boy. one that was the the like feeble little boy who was the gentlest, kindest one will understand that you were just explaining that there's a treasure map in the cane. Oh my God. <laughs> all I want is to be to age into a witch. That's like, I want a <laughs> Stacey London streak of, of yes. gray hair. That's all I want. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a great goal. Um, <laughs> Dana, what are you feeling petty about? Oh, this gosh. Um, I know that like, you know, in theory, people have been wearing masks for like, hopefully two, two plus years at this point. But people have also forgotten how to cover when they sneeze and cough for some reason. And so I feel petty that whether you're wearing a mask or not, the polite thing to do when you sneeze or cough is turn away from who you're with and lift your elbow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they haven't taught everyone this in school. They taught us this in elementary school. It is basic politeness. And when you're not wearing a mask, it's very important. I have seen people pull down their masks to sneeze and cough. Oh, <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> nightmare. 
Yeah, geez. I mean, I think we've all learned that it's the it's the inside of the elbow now. Yeah, it's That's the inside it. of the elbow. It's a perfectly nose and mouth shaped. It it fits really well. Mm-hmm. It's by design. It's one of the good good design features in the human body. Yeah, as there's so many bad ones, and this this is one of the good ones. I think cancel culture should exist for people who pull their mask down to sneeze. That is, those people <laughs> should be canceled. <laughs> okay, that's a good thing to feel petty about. Uh, Julissa, bring us home. What do you feel petty about? All right, I love y'all. I really do. But please stop asking me to do shit for free. Oh, oh. God, like, I thought you were talking to me specifically. I was like, oh, I was like, like oh, no. I was talking to the audience. <laughs> I mean, and probably not hysteria listeners, but this is what I'm feeling petty about. It's like, I already do a lot of free things. You know, I visit a lot of classrooms for free. It's like a teachers always reach out and they're like, can you please come to my classroom? I'm like, yes, I will Zoom and answer your kids' questions, which I love doing. But if you are part of a company and this is your DEI uh, budget, like, do not ask me to do things for free. Like, I make a living writing and speaking. Like, how do you think I pay for my mortgage and my blinky water bottle? (laughs) (laughs) I need money. I am not generationally wealthy Uh and my labor is valuable. And no, I cannot do your corporate thing for free. So <laughs> stop asking me. No more free things. Yeah, I I, I feel that. Um, Why? Why do people think that it, it like you get paid? Yeah, yeah. It's it, I agree with you about the like teacher thing. Like if somebody asked yeah. me to come to a classroom for the most part, it's like, yes, they they're buying their own markers. I'm not going to ask for a teacher to pay me for something. But I think that, yes, the expectation that writers and speakers do things for free is a little annoying. Um, I was on the Church of Satan website the other day. <laughs> I knew you'd bring it up at some point. <laughs> Long story, uh, because I want to start a Satan high school in Maine because the Supreme Court just said that Maine's law that excludes religious schools from uh, being able to receive scholarships for students is unconstitutional. So I want to start a satanic high school in Maine. But first, there's several steps between me and Satan high school. I need to become a Satanist first. And I wanted to like figure out what that was about because I was like, is this going to be weird? Anyway, Alyssa's got it pulled up. Um, One of the things- Bookmark. One of the things, the Satan webs, the Church of Satan website, which, by the way, different from Satanic Temple, which is the one that I was actually interested in, but whatever. Church of Satan website, very funny. If you like cantankerous tones and like kind of, they refer to homes as lairs. And there's this one thing that's like, please don't ask us to, we, we charge a membership fee because we're not altruists. We're Satanists. We want money. We need money to do things. And I was like, I feel that, Satanists. I totally get it. Anyway. Um, I've been so tempted to change my IG bio. I do not do free things. Like I feel like you yeah. should. It's totally reasonable. No. With like yeah. with like a little a little parenthesis that says, unless you are a teacher and you're buying your own supplies. <laughs> because also if you're a teacher right. at like a private school like that has a ton of money, then like right. pay me. Like I can only do what I do because I get paid. Otherwise, right. I would have to go back to work on Wall Street. So if that's Oof. the future y'all want for me, 
No. Definitely no, not. Keep asking no. me to do shit for free. Still. Keep Jaleesa <laughs> off the Wall Street. Jaleesa, I got, a, I, I got a good tip from somebody once, which I have not implemented, but they said to create your own assistant account. And mm. then it makes it so much easier for you to say no because it's your assistant saying no. I realize I just said that on a podcast. But. I have an actual real assistant. Oh, shit. Sandra. Girl, you fancy. <laughs> and, and she does say no for me a lot. But then I feel bad because she's like, they keep asking and I've already said no. And and I'm well, like, that's a personal problem. No. <laughs> I was like, stop responding. Just don't respond. Oh, my God. OK, so you heard it here. Hopefully last because she shouldn't have to repeat herself. Do not ask Julissa to do things for free unless you are somebody who is working in public schools and really could use a free gig from Julissa. Uh, that's, but that's the only thing that you should ask her to do for free. Okay. Yes. Dana and Julissa, thank you so much for coming by today. Thank you. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can write us a review if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends if you like what you're hearing. And uh, submit us your solicited advice. Yes. We love answering your solicited advice. And uh, there will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash hysteria. Take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash Hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.